0: I.V.M.
1: Team Splano, Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splano's mission to declutter the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories and follow us at Splainer Inn to keep up with all the fun things we plan for our Splainer fam. So sit back, relax, and don't let the news give you the blues. I'm Sarah, your host for the day, and we have both Prifullah and Vagda on this episode. We have three segments for you today. In our big story, we're talking about the controversy around Joe Rogan's Spotify podcast. In our food for thought segment, we're going to look at Netflix India's growing voice. And then in our final segment, we will be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items. All right, let's begin with our big story. So this story might not be big in India right now, but Spotify is big here. And well, this story has implications on that. So to catch you up, Spotify has an exclusive contract with the Macho podcast host, Joe Rogan, to host the Joe Rogan <laughs> Experience. <laughs> I wanted to make fun of it and then Wagner was like, Press Decode is also not the best, most imaginative mm-hmm. name. Yes. So I'm just not going to. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Anyway, the Joe Rogan Experience is also the most popular podcast on this platform. It is downloaded nearly 200 million times per month and brings in $30 million a year, making him the world's highest earning podcaster. But it has been under pressure from health experts and its own employees who have complained about Rogan's controversial views on everything from transgender persons to COVID vaccines. Yep, he leaves no stone unturned on the offense train. For some examples, his description of watching Planet of the Apes. We walked into the Planet of the Apes. We walked into Africa. We walked in the door and there was no white people. There was no white people. He also delights in inviting anti-vaxxers as guests. Many of him have been banned from other platforms for spreading misinformation. He's told young people not to bother getting vaccinated and has personally endorsed the use of ivermectin, which is an anti-parasite drug, as COVID treatment all while claiming he's not an anti-vax person. Now, all this considered, this simmering tension came to a head when music legend Neil Young issued an ultimatum to Spotify. He cited a letter signed by 270 doctors warning of dangerous, life-threatening COVID falsehoods, saying they can have Rogan or Young, not both. Spotify picked Rogan, underlining its great responsibility in balancing both safety for listeners and freedom for creators. Soon, Young's pal and fellow music icon Joni Mitchell followed his lead and even guitarist Nils Lofgren followed suit. Other than this, there has been dead silence from other musicians and celebrities like the Obamas, who also have Spotify deals. All things considered, Harry and Meghan did issue a statement expressing their concerns about COVID content on Spotify, but again, that was it. In the bargain, Spotify lost 4 billion dollars in market as its shares stumbled after Young's boycott but eventually it jumped back up by 12% so that also didn't last very long. Rogan decided to calm the raging controversy by saying if I pissed you off I'm sorry I will but then I'm just being an ass right now he didn't say more. (laughs) Uh, I will do my best to try to balance out these more controversial viewpoints with other people's perspectives so we can maybe find a better point of view. Sounds okay I guess. And Spotify eventually unveiled new content policy rules and will add content advisory labels to episodes, including those by Rogan. So better late than never, I suppose. But all this just points to how our fave streaming service decided to choose Rogan's podcast over music. Does this mean it stopped giving a damn about music or is it just the sheer popularity that Rogan commands?
0: You know, I think there's plenty of reasons for Spotify to keep Joe Rogan on its roster. For one, like you said, he's insanely popular. I couldn't understand why for the life of me. So I looked up what people had to say um, and it just boils down to the fact that, oh, he isn't afraid to talk about controversial topics. Many people say, Rogan is objective because he talks about the flip side of what the media is covering. And, you know, he cusses, is blunt when he disagrees with his guests on the show, which is not something that you see often and does have the presence to pull in an audience. Um, In the first month that he was with Spotify, the Joe Rogan experience attracted almost 3 million listeners and made up 5% of all podcast listeners in its early days. Which is, you know, impressive, given that there isn't a particular podcast that has made a cultural impact like a Game of Thrones or Friends or, you know, um, just there isn't a podcast that's big enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not particularly impressed. I do understand why he's seen as objective, because, you know. Uh, he's had people like Kanye West on the show, but he also has had Elon Musk and Bernie Sanders and Musk and Sanders both are famously Twitter rivals. Uh, they do not like each other. But then the fact that he calls these people and interviews them probably shows him as, you know, somebody who is able to talk to both sides of the coin. But mm-hmm. I don't think that qualifies him to be this paragon of free speech that Twitter touts him to be, especially when he invites anti-vaxxers. As, and most of the anti-vaxxers that he has invited have famously been banned from several platforms. And yes, the debate around free speech has been beaten to death and then some more. But the issue here is less about censorship or cancel culture and has more to do with misinformation that is at this point in time, a public health hazard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, Rogan has had his fair share of controversies, but convincing people that vaccines alter your genes and are more dangerous than actually getting COVID should have warranted at least an advisory from the host platform, Mm -hmm. being Spotify here. And, you know, all of us got COVID in a very short uh, span of time. (laughs) I think all of us know (laughs) that is... uh, we're fact-checking Joe Rogan on the podcast as I speak. But, uh, you know, major platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube... All these uh, platforms have policies in place for content moderation and have expanded to accommodate COVID-related media. YouTube and Twitch especially have faced lots of backlash uh, for banning creators, no matter how big or small, uh, if they got reported for hate speech and or, Mm. you know, spreading misinformation in some shape or form. Spotify, on the other hand, uh, has a very vague set of internal guidelines and they did not change that until this controversy erupted in response to um, all this you know Neil Young leaving and all the outrage the company said we have detailed content policies in place and we've removed over 20,000 podcast episodes related to covid-19 since the start of the pandemic as for rogan show spotify did previously remove 42 episodes but did not give reasons for the removal to put it into perspective, that is 42 out of 1768 episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, yeah. And I don't know whether the Joe Rogan experience should have been pulled, but should Spotify have better defined its COVID and content policies before? Uh, being pushed into the hot water, definitely. But what I know for sure is both Spotify and Rogan are making absolute bank off of the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, for a fun tidbit, it's not like Neil Young isn't. Uh, he told his uh, subscribers, like his fans or whatever, they get four months of free Amazon Prime Music, like because of all this. So, and like even Apple's Apple Music's been really cheeky. So. All in all, it's been great in terms of PR for a lot of people. (laughs) But before we get into how, uh,
2: as in how much money these guys have made, can we just like talk about how they make money? You know, so Spotify began in 2006 with a goal to become an online repository of all the world's music. So it began as a music first company. Hmm. And it wanted to become like the world's go-to music streaming platform. And for that goal, it struck deals with all major And indie music labels, and pretty successful in its efforts. Its online library hosts over 70 million songs with 172 million paying subscribers and 381 million active subscribers, which are the freemium subscribers also. But how do they make money, right? They don't own the music. It makes 95% of its revenue by streaming music with advertisements, but it doesn't own the copyright to the music. So it basically purchased the music on a license and it spends over 70% of its revenue on royalties to rights holders that are divided into royalties to record labels and those to singers and composers. And record labels form the larger chunk of this, obviously, and actually Spotify is infamous for its really, really low pay-per-stream ratio to yeah. like artists. Neil Young hmm. is not going to lose a much because he's still a big, big guy, but like smaller yeah. uh, artists sell, lose out generally. Apple Music has better rates in comparison. Anyway, the point is that it doesn't seem like a very good business model. You're paying 70% of what you earn in just content. That's operating mm. expenditure and doesn't even include the other operational expenditure. And it shows in the numbers Spotify's gross revenue in 2021 was $9 billion, but it reported a loss of $658 million. So the company has never even posted an operating profit.
0: That is so baffling for a company that is as big as Spotify is. But like, I think this is just startup culture. Like, everybody
2: mm. runs on. Nothing. It's just venture capital <laughs> funding. That's all there is. So it would make sense to own your content in the long run. That's mm. where all the audio content, like podcasts, come in. And this is why Spotify invested hundred million dollars to license Rogan's show in twenty twenty. Rogan is happy because there's less con less content oversight. Spotify is happy because it doesn't have to pay a license fee to record labels. So it's basically pivoting to as much content it can own it might not actually be a music first company in the long run
1: hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting because i mean i guess the first part right where we i think the outrage was more about the content advisory was just needed because it was about covid hmm. but on the other hand spotify does get to make these decisions for its own economics yeah yeah and definitely yeah yeah Anyway, on that note, we come to the end of our first segment. We will be right back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. We're Team Splainer and make sure you follow us at in on Instagram and Twitter to keep up with the Splainer fam. So for our food for thought segment, we're going to talk about the many woes of Netflix in India. In December, Netflix lowered its subscription prices across its plans, bringing its lowest plan to just rupees 149 per month. Its 499 basic plan was cut down to just 199 in India, of course, but it has still not been enough. And almost at the same time, globally, its prices were jacked up, but it's still not been enough for the platform to make enough of a foothold here. The platform subscriber count in India is just 5.5 million versus Amazon Prime Video's 19 million and Disney Plus Hotstar's whopping 46 million. India has more than 75 streaming services already, there are a few hits and many failures. But over the recent past, Netflix India is just not making the cut. To make matters worse, the two-season prequel to the blockbuster films Bahubali, uh, which is being called Bahubali before the beginning, is now being re-evaluated. One of the seasons cost $20 million to make and is already in post-production. But Netflix is apparently unhappy with it and is planning to get in new directors. This story gave rise to all the chatter about Netflix India being in serious trouble. I mean, the Netflix original was announced with much fanfare in 2018 but poof now they're re-evaluating mm. and you have to remember right the Bahubali franchisee is actually one that comprises the country's highest grossing films yep I mean I have a niece who's like I mean she's five now and she was two I think one of her first words included Bahubali oh my god <laughs> it was ridiculous none of us knew what to do with this <laughs> And the chatter about Netflix India isn't just external. Like, back in Feb 2018, the platform CEO Reed Hastings claimed that their next 100 million subscribers would come from India, thanks to its expanding and cheap internet. Sounds like a decent enough idea. Yeah, made sense at that time. Exactly. But a mere three years later, Hastings' bold claims don't sound so likely. On an investor call earlier this year, which... Could have been on a lighter note or not. He reportedly did say the great news is in every, other, every single other major market, we've got the flywheel spinning. The thing that frustrates us is why we haven't been as successful in India, but we're definitely leaning in there. So mm. the question remains, why does the global platform like Netflix struggle to get a foothold in India, especially when we're the second largest mobile phone market in the world?
2: Yeah, it's really surprising. I mean, first, for a brand that is synonymous with OTT, Literally, Netflix and chill. <laughs>
1: I mean, <laughs> <such> large- <laughs> that's less about OTT. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but for such a large market, uh, their numbers are really tiny. I mean, yeah, like in 2018, when Sacred Games had just come out, it made waves. Everyone thought this is like the new beginning of an, like a new era of cinema, you know? Oh, yeah,
1: the- this is Radhika Apte era. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. Remember all those jokes? Yeah. Damn funny. But the thing is that we all go to Netflix for its international content, like Money Heist and Squid Game and more. And Netflix has the best collection of K-dramas too, uh, (laughs) wherein I have found myself fully drowning recently. Hello, hometown (laughs) (laughs) cha-cha-cha. When I tell you, yes, she has. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. She randomly sends these GIFs and like, it's weird. It's, it's all up in my head right now. That's all I'm thinking about. Anyway, the problem is that Indian content is very limited on Netflix. Since Sacred Games, we can probably count on our fingers what Indian stuff made only ripples. Honestly, forget Waves. On Netflix India. What Indian content can you think of that you watched on Netflix?
1: Okay, so I think I'm a bad person for your theory here. Because I watch anything and everything that comes on Netflix. Especially <laughs> the Indian content. But the last thing I watched was Kapil Sharma's special. Mm. But you're right in terms of the ripples, right? Everyone mm-hmm. spoke about it for a grand total of two days. Mm. Yeah. And now they're done. Which is not great shelf life.
0: Yeah. Even with things that we hate watch. Like decoupled, Indian matchmaking. Mm. It's Indian matchmaking. You know, people spoke about it longer because it also had an international audience. But Indian audiences, like decoupled people, like uh, dunked on the show, and that was it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. For me, look, I watch like Hindi and Punjabi stuff in Indian content. Mm. So when I, I went through my viewing history on Netflix to see what what all stuff I, you know, I consumed that made ripples, there was Chandigarh Karyashiki, there's Mimi, and then there's Haseen Dilruba. And I went as far back as May 2021 to see what I watched. Wow. And I did not enjoy any of these three. But that just might be my subjective opinion, you know. I concur. (laughs) I concur. (laughs) Validly so. No, but the only exception that I can think of in Indian content is Minnal Murili, which was actually good, apparently. It was
1: fantastic. it. It was fantastic.
2: Yeah, that made waves. Hmm. You know, but that was the only thing that you can't run on that. And it may not be entirely subjective because media research firms have noticed the dearth of good Indian content too. Like Netflix had only one show in the top 15 most watched Hindi shows in OTT in 2021. And that was quota Factory. The platform Mm. is still perceived as an upmarket expensive service. Mm. So then the reduction in their subscription plan makes sense from a market perspective. But the fact is that it's still considered foreign for its content. So only reducing your subscription plan is not going to do it. Mm. Prime Video in comparison is substantially cheaper and comes with a bundle of services including shopping benefits on Amazon. Right? With a much larger, much more successful and popular variety of content. Think Mirzapur, Family Man. And a lot more regional content also. Yeah. Hotstar did well for itself with uh sport broadcast, owning all the big ticket digital broadcast rights, including for the IPL, some of which Amazon Prime is also getting into with live cricket streaming starting, I think, January.
1: Another thing for Hotstar is it actually owns it's stars, right? So a lot of your Hindi mm. soap operas, they are there. Yeah. So I There's my mom watches a lot of that. She streams a lot of that on Hotstar. Yeah makes sense
2: but see in my it's pretty simple in my opinion like you have this expensive subscription plan that has mostly foreign content so that's your f- straightforward answer as to why you're unable to break into indian mass tv consumption that's it yeah
0: and you know also netflix hasn't learned how to capture indian audiences beyond you know the people who got drawn in with the brand name in the beginning like if you look at the bahubali prequel for example netflix snapped it up as soon as uh, you don't know they could get their hands on it, um, and the company wanted it to be a Hindi first pan India show, uh, which is going to be an issue when the film is the franchise is a Telugu uh, franchise and is made by Telugu crews. So there's going to be a lot of push and pull, just make trying to make that show, and for a business model that depends so much on understanding your demographic, this is a big surprise because how do you not do your research? And it has cost you now, like. 150 crore i and mean bollywood's trying this for decades
1: <laughs> so i don't blame netflix
0: uh, but you know people still end up watching that yeah that's
1: true yeah
0: netflix now we now have a lot watched.
1: more
2: choice we can ignore netflix if we want that's true that's
0: true uh, and with you know the bahubali prequel the pandemic did you know cause production delays but this is what the showrunners had to say they hired the wrong people talking about netflix from day one, despite its diligence, Netflix doesn't seem to be aware about how much money is being squandered in India. So this is like what Sarah said, the show is in post-production and now they're looking for directors to go in and redo it. And this isn't just an India-only problem. Netflix is suffering around the world. Uh, it announced its slowest growth since 2015. And the forecast for Q1 this year was so bad it caused its stock to decrease by 25%.
1: Oh my God. All this in a year that we've been at home and actually been streaming.
0: Exactly. More. Yeah. And the fact that the forecast was so bad that it just cut down your stock by that much is has to say a lot about where you're at. And obviously For then sure. there is the piracy. So I was surprised to find out that Telegram Messenger is a huge contributor to this. If you're unfamiliar like I am, Telegram got a lot of traction during the WhatsApp migration because of all its privacy features. Mm. In addition, the Messenger allows bots that can manage groups. The group limit itself is 200,000. Plus, it lets you send files up to 2 GB. Many are reportedly pirating movies, music, games, and video on demand content. So since Netflix subscriptions are thought to be pricier, why would people pay for it? And that's why there's a significant number that's taken to pirating. It's like we're back in the early 2000s. But uh, that brings me to subscriptions. In the US, streaming has been made much cheaper than cable. One study found actually that users who paid for streaming saved an average of uh, 168 per year. Uh, And there was one user who was getting a discount off of their uh, cable TV. But as soon as that discount expired, um, they switched to um, streaming because that was much cheaper. They, in fact, were saving like $800 per year just by switching to streaming. But it's obviously not the same in India because uh, even with a price reduction of almost 60%, people are not taking to, you know, paying for the content. Uh, People are pirating and it's, again, it's seen as upmarket. We're not used to paying for, uh, you know, uh, paying an entity that we don't know as opposed to cable operators that you will probably speak to and say, Come uh, install this in my house. Uh, And executives are uh, optimistic because Brazil and Japan were initially tough markets for them. Um, Including subscription bundles like Airtel and Jio has helped a lot, especially, you know, the way Amazon has done it. They've, but the fact is that Netflix still has tough uh, competition here in India, be it Hotstar, be it uh, Amazon. And I don't think it's getting beat anytime soon.
1: Mm. That's true. On that note, we come to the end of this segment. We will be right back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. Welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. Uh, I have a least-fave item. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Bring it. A uh, new study by economists who work out of Stanford, MIT, the University of Chicago, etc., have found that working in your PJs gives you six extra hours a week because you save basically 60 minutes a day from not commuting, 10 minutes from skipping daily grooming tasks like showering, shaving, putting on clean (laughs) clothes, or putting on makeup. (laughs) All that sounds great. I mean, yeah, putting on makeup. Vagda, because it's not a video pod, swears by Zoom's uh, lipstick filter. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I mean, all this sounds great, right? But here's the catch. They also found we spend at least half of the previously saved time doing more work but you know I'm still
2: happy with it I mean we start work at 7 a.m yeah I would rather just like save time on the showering and shaving and putting (laughs) on clean clothes I just sleep with my I just wake like open it that's what I do
1: considering I started work in the pandemic I'm kind (laughs) of (laughs) done
2: okay I have a fave item this week like every week uh we carry this Illustrated review from The New Yorker as a sanity break in our Tuesday edition. And it was the most amusing restaurant review ever. Obviously, because it was written from the perspective of a dog. The dog writes about the things he enjoys eating while sitting on the kitchen floor, like a napkin, a pen, AirPods, a Christmas bulb. (laughs) I'm going to read out the bit that was my favorite, where it reviews a sock, start quote, If you're confused, that's because this item is actually on the secret menu. You have to ask for it. And by that, I mean, find it lying in the corner of the kitchen or about to fall off someone's foot. (laughs) But when you do find it, it will be well worth the wait. The satisfaction of tearing through a cotton sock and then swallowing it whole is like nothing else. Except for the taste of wool socks, which are exquisite. End quote.
0: This is a very poetic dog.
2: (gasps) I loved it. It's so adorable. And it reminds me of this book I read long back. Uh, It's called The Dalai Lama's Cat by David Michi, which is written from the perspective of His Holiness's pet cat. It's sort of like a self-help book, but the philosophical advice comes from the cat, which I am totally accepting of, as opposed to when it comes from a billionaire tech bro. You get me?
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. And I also have a fave this week. Uh, This is something we carried in the Friday edition as one of our headlines. A new research paper has claimed that octopi and other cephalopods are actually aliens from space. I mean, they look it, but... Mm -hmm. And this is from a completely serious scientific paper that has been published. And the authors basically say that it rained frozen squid millions of years ago. And these squid then interacted with genomes on Earth, causing genetic mutation. Oh, and a medical (laughs) researcher from Finland said that there is evidence in the study that might actually make this theory plausible. Wow. I mean, we might as well be living in a Star Trek episode and I, for one, welcome our alien overlords.
1: Yes. Well, the budget made me understand that I'm a finance trick. Now, this makes me believe that now it's my error to be a science (laughs) trick. Okay, science trick. Thank you. And that was our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Press Decode. You can catch us every Thursday on the IVM Podcast Network. And guys, please remember, don't let the
0: news give you the blues.